first, a word from our sponsor, the insurance people. Medicare open enrollment has started now through December 7th. Do you need help enrolling? Are you ready to shop your Medicare supplement, Part D medication, or Medicare Advantage plan? The insurance people, located in Illinois, specializes in helping you select the best Medicare option for your needs. You can find them at insurancepl.com. That is insurance, our favorite word, followed by the letters PPL, or call 773-697-8082. Again, insurancepl.com or 773-697-8082. Hi, I'm Gail. And hi, I'm Catherine. We are the active voice of women over 70, aging reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. Visit womenover70.com to make a donation, discover our books for women section, and learn more about the Women Over 70 community. Invite us to conduct workshops or speak to your organization. We share clips from our podcast and offer strategies that enrich women's lives as they age. And today we are pleased to welcome Margot Morris. Margot is 78. She was born in Minneapolis, but she lives in downtown Chicago. She was introduced to us by a previous guest, Ingrid Albright, episode 133. Margot was an art student under Ingrid for 10 years and worked alongside Ingrid's partner, Mark Rosenthal, at the Lincoln Park Zoo. Margot's path to the zoo was full of twists and turns. She always wanted to be an art teacher, but couldn't find a job. She moved to San Jose, California, where she interviewed with Container Corp of America and became their manager of public relations. All along, she was still interested in art. When she left Container Corp because they merged with another company and let her go, she moved to Chicago and went to work for the Lincoln Park Zoo. This is where Margot met Mark, and soon she became an art student under Ingrid Albrecht. Margot, welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Thank you for having me. (laughs) We're glad you're here. You you know, you loved working at the zoo, and you've been retired now for 13 years. And you and your husband, Stan, were married for 42 years before he passed away three months ago. Yes. So how have you been keeping busy, and, and are you still doing art? Well... My artistic career has been really interrupted a lot because of my life, but uh, but I've I've been doing things. I've been keeping up on things. I've been drawing, and I'm just about ready to change my studio. I I sold the studio I did have, and I've moved it all here to where I'm living, oh. and I'm very excited about that. Uh huh. That makes sense. What kind of art are you doing? I do uh, a lot of figurative art in water media, and I do a lot of drawing. I don't work in uh, acrylic or oil paint, mm-hmm. and I prom- I prominently deal with the human figure wow. and portraiture. Mm-hmm. And so, Margot, would we be able to find your art? Where would we be able to see it? Huh, that's a good question. I haven't done any work for about 
eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. My mother got sick and died. My, you know, there were a lot of things that came out in the way. But I'm now really trying to come back with a good, you know, a real punch. And I, I would, I have a book that has some of my artwork in it. But I'm not selling anything now. It's all kind of in the past. So I'm starting over in mm-hmm. terms of my art. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like Grandma Moses. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We, we want everyone to be talking about you in your 90s also. <laughs> For sure. So, so um, your role at uh, Lincoln Park Zoo, you know, that's so fascinating. And, and oh, you told I me so many. <laughs> yeah, you told me so many wonderful stories mm-hmm. there, especially the one about sweet potato pies for elephants. <laughs> Yes, they loved them. I, I had two friends in the elephant department. One was Bozy. She was a, an Asian elephant from Ceylon. And I can't remember if Ceylon is now called Burma or what. I keep forgetting. And then there was another African elephant named um, Binti. So I would go in there and Mark Rosenthal told me they liked that sweet potatoes, but he didn't say sweet potato pies. He said sweet potatoes. So I love to cook. I went home. I got, and the great thing about making pies for elephants is you don't have to strain anything. You, you know, you don't have to do anything. I put them in once and they did not like the cinnamon, but otherwise I would make two pies I'd go into the back of the, you know, where the exhibit hall area is. I'd go in there. Mark would stand at one end of the room. I would stand at the other. He'd lead the two elephants in. They'd see the the sweet potato pies. And they both came running at me. And they stopped literally an inch in front of my face. (laughs) Were you afraid? I, I didn't. I was never afraid of them. Okay. (laughs) And, and so. Did you make them anything else? Nope, just sweet potato pies. That that was all they wanted. Now, did you get paid for doing your work at the Lincoln Park Zoo? Oh, yes. I was the uh, director of uh, development. I was the the number two person there. The only reason I got to do the elephant thing is because Mark and I became friends and he would, we, you know, he'd let me go in there because my, my boss did not like when I would look at, at the elephants, but she always could tell because if I snuck over there and then came back to her office, she could smell that I had <laughs> elephant smell. <laughs> so, what did you do in your role as director of development? I I was hired when we had a very small development department, and uh, I think there were, oh, maybe 10 women there. And my role was to grow the department, make it stronger, bring in more funds, have capital campaigns, do an annual, uh, annual meeting, and also annual fund programs. I also was in charge of the board work. I had, and I had a staff, at the end of the day, I had a staff of about 30 people, and it was the board work, the development, the membership, um, the publications, public relations. It was all that. And it was a very, very challenging job because my boss was very, very strict and very brilliant and very creative. But boy, she was tough. So it was very, very tough, but I loved it. 
I love that job. I love my boss. I love my board. And it was just a, a wonderful opportunity. I got to do so many things. And, you know, like I got to see the birth of the baby elephant. When mm -hmm. Bozy's uh, was pregnant, she had a, a, a baby named Shanti. And they took her out to be impregnated in another zoo. And so I had been, you know, so close to Bozy and the African elephant Binti. But they took Bozy away and Binti really missed her. And it took two years for her to get pregnant. So the day, the night they were bringing them in, Mark let me know and my husband that they were coming in on the big truck. And we went down to the elephant area, waited and to watch what happened. And so Shanti was there and the keepers and a couple other uh, animals. And then all of a sudden, Bozy comes swaying in, you know, just like, ha, ha, ha. I'm so <laughs> proud of myself. And then they started going, and their, their ears were flopping, and they were, it's like they were saying, how the hell are you? Where have you been? You know? <laughs> it was just wonderful. Oh. And then the, the she went into her pre-labor posture, which is sort of the way you'd think it'd be, you know, kind of standing, sitting on her haunches. I think it took about a half hour for her to birth that baby. And what happened, she all of a sudden, this great big gray uh, sack, or that's the placenta, comes out, out, out. And she takes her leg and flips it up. She breaks the placenta and then she tosses the elephant and then puts it on the ground. Now, in elephant, in the elephant world, if you don't stand up as a baby in 15 mm. minutes, the baby, will, the mother will kill you because that's about all the time you have in the jungle when cheetahs are around and hyenas and stuff. So they got her up. She, it was the best birth I've ever seen in my life, including my own children, because <laughs> it was a 200 pound baby. Oh, it was God. pink all pink and it had these little hairy things the real real you know tough hairy things not soft and she came over to me and she shoveled around and she put her little trunk and had no control of her trunk and i smelled this baby and this elephant baby smelled like a baby it was just no. great <laughs> oh my goodness that was, it was the best thrilling yep <laughs> Yeah, thrilling. Wow. We have more, more in common with our animal life and animal friends than we think we do. Mm -hmm. uh, could you say more about that? About uh, the, the things we have. Uh -huh. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, you wouldn't think that you would be identifying with elephants. But, and I did know people, Mark Rosenthal, for example, he had a very strong relationship with the gorillas and it's just so did dr fisher i was sort of afraid of the gorillas but you can have you you let off some sort of vibe and they i think it's a i think we're really more connected animal and human than we realize i mean remember that uh show about the squid mm-hmm mm -hmm. Yeah, you remember? Yes, yes. And that was a squid who acted like a person in a way. Yes. And 
And I think there is so much of that that we are unaware of today. And you see it at the zoo constantly, you know, the the way the cats relate to one another, that one gets jealous. The orangutan female was very jealous of women who paid attention to Stanton, her 90,000 pound husband. (laughs) And and so I would go in there because I, I was the director of development. I did get to do stuff. And there's Stanton, and he loves grapes. So they told me he loves grapes. So I had these grapes, and he's smashed at the gate at the uh, chicken wire fence, or it's it was hurricane fence. He smashed up against, and I'm taking these grapes, and I'm just putting them in one place in the middle of his lip, and the lip comes down and takes the drip, the, the grape. Well, the female starts seeing that, and she I was warned, Mark warned me, she climbs up right about where I am and tries to pee on me. <laughs> <laughs> now, if that isn't a human response, I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh gosh. Those were the, the moments in between all the hard work you really did for the oh, zoo. gosh. Could I tell you one more story? Oh, yes. Well, we had a reptile house and we had an anaconda in there. And it was an annual meeting was coming and we were we always had our annual meeting outside on the mall. Beautiful tables, linen, you know, the whole nine yards. Well, just before this annual meeting was supposed to happen, I found out that the anaconda got loose. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, if that animal comes slithering down the main <laughs> mall and goes over someone's foot, oh, I was just hysterical. Well, nothing happened. It turned out they found him. And but there are a lot of times when these animals got out. And, mm-hmm. you know, you heard the story about the, the gorilla who got out and walked around the the campus of the zoo. Yes. So, you know, those things happen. <laughs> that, that was my zoo. I spent a lot of time there, especially walking in the mornings. I had yes. that we walked with around the zoo. It was wonderful. Wasn't it? Especially in the wintertime, it's so quiet. Yes. Yes. It was just terrific. And it was, it was snowplowed. So it made it a great place to walk. Yes, it, it did. Yeah. So you volunteer a lot now, right? You're, you're, you're doing a lot of volunteer work. I did. I, my, most of my volunteer work that I did was at the Garfield Park Conservatory. And mm-hmm. I, Barbara Carr, when I left the zoo and uh, went on to my own uh, consulting business, I, she, she suggested that they bring me on the board of the Garfield Park Conservatory. And I've always been very interested in working with diversity, and I, I was a teacher in Ann Arbor for four or five years, and it was a very, very highly in, integrated school of kids from foreign countries, the graduate students' kids, and um, African Americans who had been in the city for just about longer than anybody. And, you know, it was a very interesting experience because I was there during the riots and during Martin Luther King's assassination. And um, it was very, 
very hard to be there and to be a teacher there because the kids, the black kids were getting all their information from their parents and the white kids were getting their information from their parents. And there were people who didn't agree with various, you know, all the whites were afraid of Stokely Carmichael. And, you know, it was just a very, very difficult time. So, um, you know, it's, it's been, it was fun to be a part of it. And I try, and that's why I got involved in Garfield, to stay connected with minority communities. Mm-hmm. And so is, is there anything else that you do in that regard now? Well, I've, I've been the chairman of just about every committee. I was uh, on that board for 25 years. Oh, wow. And I was uh, the chair for two when we have terms, you know. But I was I had a, I was an officer for I don't know fifteen years I guess or more. Mm-hmm. And so, um, um, Marwa, how does the Garfield Park Board address issues of diversity and inclusion? What does well, it mean? I'll have to tell you. Um, I I also consulted for the Sinai Community Institute at Mount Sinai Hospital, and that's a, a hospital that really most of its patients are African American and other minorities. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I was always shocked, like a dumb bell, like kind of a dumb white girl, that um, our efforts to help weren't met with great excitement and gratitude. Mm -hmm. And it, it was sort of people were, you know, we weren't black, or we weren't Latina, or Latino. And so we'd go there and think we were just so great to be doing this and that didn't go over at all and people had to change their tune and mm. and look at it differently and is as obvious as that seems now it wasn't so obvious then mm-hmm. so and this is going back 20 years mm-hmm. so it's a learning curve for anyone like myself who was trying to do good and a lot of times I succeeded but there were times I flunked, you know, I said the wrong thing. I shouldn't have done this. And now, oh my God, I don't, my grandchildren, they say, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't say whatever it was like he or she or it or whatever. It's so confusing. And I'm glad I don't have to deal with that at Sinai now because I'm way out of, out of my element. Mm-hmm. And, and at Garfield Park, did you feel that same way? I felt it um, with one program, uh, the Sinai Community Institute. And it was run by a woman who was very ingrained in the community. And she was very smart. And she just had a problem with me trying to help her. Mm-hmm. And I tried mm-hmm. to tiptoe through the tulips. Mm-hmm. And I think today she would be better. But, you know, it was like, well, what, you know, what, what do you know about this, Margot? Have you ever lived on the West Side? You, you know, and I, you know, I get it. There's, we're still talking like that. Mm-hmm. But I just, I just uh, love those kids. And they are the most wonderful artists. Most of those children, um, and this was also true in Ann Arbor when I was teaching at an African-American school, they're the greatest artists. They're so expressive and they're really, you know, they're interested and they like working with their hands and um, they really, you know, 
they the white kids can't hold a candle to the how the black kids go at a a big mural or a project like mm. that. I used to let my kids play their Barry Gordy music during the art time, and I learned all the moves. <laughs> it was so fun. Oh, <laughs> mm. <Well>, anyway, <laughs> yeah. Well, we've learned a lot over the years, and yes, and uh, I give you credit for you know, going in and, and doing that work at a time that we weren't always appreciated. And, and as we know, still today, there are moments when that happens, uh, our white privilege, right? Right. And I was involved with the city planning department and we were doing gardens and we were trying to get more gardens in the, to the community for the West side and, and, uh, and the near North side and the West side. And, <clears throat> Not the near north side. What what am I trying to say? The west side and east side. Oh, near, the near. south side. Yeah. And um, we went, my daughter and I, because she was involved with me, and we went down to this house and we were supposed to talk to them, see their garden and everything. So we go in. It's right in the thick of the, the, the neighborhood. And we, by this time, we were kind of used to doing it. So we didn't feel afraid at all. And so we go up to the house, <laughs> we knock on the fence, nothing happens. And there was a family behind us in the house and they just decided to pull our leg and they threw firecrackers behind us, which sound like guns. <laughs> it mm -hmm. sounds like gunshot, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. And my daughter and I must've jumped five feet in the air. And just then the woman came and she got mad at them and told them they were being bad. But anyway, that was, one of my more exciting moments like oh god what happened but it turned out to be nothing yeah yeah so so how are you thinking at all about aging uh, you know you're 78 you're you're <laughs> what are you thinking about it i am and i'm so mad at myself because i thought aging was just getting wrinkles you know <laughs> and my gosh was i wrong and my mother um, died, in, she died in her 90s, but she had all sorts of issues. And my husband, who was a jock and just so strong and everything, he ended up with a, a very a serious heart condition. Um, and then he also got attacked by Mr. COVID. So I, I think where I come out on all this is, don't think you're going to live forever just because you've taken good care of yourself and that you have good doctors because everybody has to die. My husband used to say, Mago, he was from Boston. What are you talking about? Everybody has to die sometime. And because I was worrying about him. And I think um, that's how you just have to look at it. You're not going to be saved. It's going to happen. And um I've just, once I sort of really realized that, I have been released. I am not afraid. Mm -hmm. That I mean, you just know that, I mean, it isn't like Donald Trump doesn't get to die. I mean, he, he gets off it and we all die. The whole world dies. <laughs> so, you know, there is nobody who gets the privilege of not dying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I think, you know, we all have to experience it. We're a big sorority. Yeah. 
It's a hard, it's hard to be a widow. I don't like that. Being Greek, a widow's always wore black and stuff like that. I'm not that type of widow, but it sort of has a bad feeling to me. How do you mean? Well, the Greek in the, in the Greek culture, the widows basically until very recently, their life is over. Their husband dies. They wear black. They wear black forever. They can't do anything. They cannot even go out to lunch with a guy. I mean, even if it's a priest and it's a very just sort of a sexist, ageist, everything. And um, it's much, much better now. But that's how I grew up. Mm. And I'll never forget at a funeral, I'm standing there and the casket's in front and we keep the casket open. And I'm behind this woman. I have no idea who she was. But uh, they, they get into theatrics. And she took this man, this little Greek guy who was in the coffin, and went down, picked him up, and was bringing him back and forth. And this poor dead man was like, you know, you can imagine what it looked like. I was so horrified. I was just horrified. And I told my mother, I never am going to wear black. I'm I'm not going to follow these rules. They hurt women. I was just furious. Mm -hmm. But it was you know, that's, that's the thing. Sometimes people who are really religious when they come from these pl- places, for example, I just talked to my cousin in Greece. And he said that my first cousin is not taking the virus, the uh, vaccine, because he's the priest has been telling everyone in the congregation that the vaccine is the devil. Mm. Mm. So you know, the Greek Orthodox Church is nothing like the Presbyterians. I go to the Presbyterian Church now, but, you know, those two churches have a very different point of view. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and it just broke my heart to know that my sweet little cousin, who I, I owned a house in Greece and I gave it to him, and they he just was, you know, not going to take the, take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your husband had taken the vaccine? Yes, he did. Mm -hmm. We all did, but he still got it. And I think it's because he was sick for so long. I think his immune system just was totally compromised. Sure. Yeah, it's all hard, isn't it? It certainly is. You know, you just have to keep trying and keep working at it Mm -hmm. and, and don't feel sorry for yourself. And how are you spending your time now? Well, I've sold, I'm selling my, um, I had an art apartment that was where I did my art mm-hmm. and I'm selling that. And, and that's a huge pain in the neck. My daughters are helping me. Thank God. And um, I'm thinking about um, in a couple of years of going to an, uh, not an assisted living, but an independent living place only because I'm a people person. And I don't like to just be by myself and have a caregiver sort of, you know, watching me. I'm more of an interactive type. Mm-hmm. So, and I get depressed when I'm too alone. So mm-hmm. I think I'm just going to call it, you know, what it is. And in a couple of years, if I, if I'm, you know, well, and not, you know, totally out of it, I'm going to, uh, I put my name in 
to go to an independent living place in Evanston, which is near my kids. And I'm planning to do my art. I've got all my art stuff with me. I'm planning to go back and do the things I couldn't do before. And that's the big one. (laughs) Yes. That's a wonderful way to think about it. And um, I just want to tell you quickly about one of our guests, Marion Giles, who uh, was 103 when we interviewed her. And she has lived in a facility for 25, 30 years now. But for her 100th birthday, she um, she hosted a big party and she invited three animals from the Brookfield Zoo. Oh, <laughs> what were the animals? One was a wallaby. Oh, a wallaby. Yes. <laughs> and the other two, I don't remember. Do you, Catherine? I don't. I don't remember. I just get stuck on the three animals from the zoo, which I thought was oh, fabulous. Gosh. Yes, <laughs> isn't it? Well, yeah. animals are very comforting, you know. Yeah, yeah. You could do that for your 75th birthday, for your 80th birthday. I could. I'll ask Mark if he could help me. Yeah, I'm sure he could. <laughs> I mean, those elephants. <laughs> oh, they're not there anymore. Oh. oh, yeah, right, right. They went back to wherever they were supposed to go. They, you know, they, it's oh. all run by a big you know, consortium of mm. administrators who look at all where all these animals are mm. and to keep the uh, populations growing and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sure. So, so Margo, is there anything that you might like our listeners to know that you perhaps would have told your younger self or that you're thinking about now? Yes. Um, I was always a warrior. And so my father died when I was 15. And that didn't help my worrying, I guess. And I've learned that we just have to be very, very flexible. We can't have a preconceived idea of what life is going to be like. And maybe just enjoy the fact that there's somewhat of a mystery to it and just go with it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I haven't done that all my life, but I, I'm doing it now. And mm-hmm. it sure feels good. For you. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. We advice. can't control it, can we? <laughs> you can eat all the good things. You can eat omega threes. You can, you know, run around and everything. But you're you're gonna get there one in a, one way or the other. <laughs> so I'm trying to keep a sense of humor about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Swim for you. Yes, that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun to to talk about these things. <laughs> And listeners, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen or visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can easily access all of our episodes and become a member in the Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined Circle. We'll see you next Wednesday on Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined.